Our sermon text this morning is from Matthew chapter 22. If you're new with us, what we do here is we go through the Bible. And so now we've been in Matthew for quite some time. We're in Matthew chapter 22 now. We're beginning our passage in verse 34. So just a handful of verses today. This is the word of God. Matthew 22 verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, you have revealed yourself to us in Jesus Christ. And today, for those of us here in this century, we can't see him. And so we depend on your spirit speaking through your word to show us Christ. So show us Christ. Help us to understand your word this morning so that we may have faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a lot of fuss is made over the Bible, isn't it? But then if if the Bible is what it claims to be, the very word of God, then a lot of fuss should be made over the Bible. It's a big deal to have a book in our hands that is in itself what the only eternal being, the almighty maker of the universe, desires to personally communicate to us. That's that's something. And whether the Bible actually is the word of God is, is a matter of debate. Well, I should say, It can be a matter of debate, because if you're here with us, if you're visiting with us this morning, you have gathered with a group of people who don't believe that this is a matter of debate. We believe that this very much is the Word of God, and so we treat it as the Word of God. That's why you've heard it read so much today. That's why the songs that we sang today are directly brought from God's Word. That's why we preach God's Word. We believe that when the Bible says God made the world, that it is indeed true that God made the world and every living thing. We believe that Jesus, a Jewish man from a little town called Nazareth in a little region called Galilee, was crucified and that he rose from the dead on the third day after that. And we we believe that. And so because we believe these things to be true, well, we gather every Sunday. We're here every Sunday to worship him, and we're especially here today, because today is Resurrection Sunday. When we see that by his resurrection, this Jesus proved himself to be the Messiah. But the Bible, this big book, contains a lot more than the creation of the world, and it contains a lot more than the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a really big book, 
It's actually 66 books. Some of you have read it cover to cover. Some of you have not. Statistically, most people haven't read one complete book within the Bible. And that's just reality. It's not a condemnation of anybody. It's just how things are. It's not that we don't want to read the Bible. There's a survey that comes out every year. The majority of Americans actually want to read the Bible. It's just we don't. And one of the problems with, with us is that we don't know what it's about. You, when, you, when you start to read it, you realize it's kind of hard to find a, a unity in all of those 66 books. We don't, it's hard to see what it's about. And yet, it's an important book. It's been translated into more than 700 languages in its entirety. 700 languages this book has been translated into. Harry Potter, by comparison, has been translated into 73 languages. And we mostly know what that book, those books are about, don't we? But what is the Bible about? Well, Jesus answers that question for us in our text this morning. When he says, all of the law and the prophets, and that's a shorthand way of saying the entire Old Testament, or the first 39 books of this big book, all of those books put together, the law and the prophets, it all hangs on two laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now think about it. That's, a, that's quite a statement by Jesus. Think about all, for those of you who, if, if, if any, any semblance of, of understanding of what the Bible is about, you know some of the stories. Think about all that is in Jesus' Bible. You've got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Hebrews down in Egypt and Moses and the Red Sea. You've got judges with Gideon and Samson. And then Ruth and King Saul and King David and Solomon and then the temple, and then these wars, and the nation splits in two, and Israel, Israel is, is exiled off to Babylon. And there's Daniel in the lion's den, and Esther. And all of these fantastic stories that so many of us know, or at least we've seen the movies. And Jesus says, all of that, the whole thing, the entire Old Testament is connected by these two simple commands. Be totally devoted to God. And love your neighbor. Now, how in the world did Jesus arrive at that summary? You're here with us today as, as a visitor. We have been working our way through Matthew, and we are just to give you some setting of where we are in Matthew. This is now what is known as Passion Week or Holy Week. We're on the Tuesday before Easter Sunday, the Tuesday before. Good Friday, and this discussion that we've dropped into started when a group of Pharisees, basically Pharisees are these, these Jews who believe the Bible to be true, they study it, they try to be obedient to what it says, but they don't like Jesus, they don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is when he claims to be the Messiah, and so they're trying to turn people against him. They don't like the following that he has. So they've gathered together to come up with a question that they believe will stump Jesus. 
They believe that this question that they're going to ask him will also make him look foolish in front of the crowds, and the crowds will lose their taste for Jesus. See, only moments ago, on this this same day in the setting of our reading, Jesus had put the Sadducees, another Jewish religious group, in their place. They They had asked him a question, and they had tried to trick him. They didn't believe that the Old Testament was authoritative, at least not in its entirety, especially these little bits about the resurrection. So Jesus corrected them, and he taught that all of it, Genesis to Malachi, indeed is authoritative because it's all God's word. So now, keying in on that, what Jesus has just said, that the whole Bible is God's word, the Pharisees want to see if they can get Jesus to say that there are some laws in the Old Testament that are more important than other laws. If you've tried to get through the Bible before, you might have made it to Leviticus. And you might have seen some strange laws. For instance, men were not to shave their sideburns. No one was allowed to eat a goat that had been cooked in its mother's milk. There were special cleansings that you had to take part in if you you touched things that were unclean. There are all sorts of sacrifices, all sorts of offerings and specific instructions for all of these things. There are food laws and worship laws and clothing laws, and there are moral laws too, like do not murder and do not steal. And so the Pharisees want to see if Jesus will say that one of these 600 some odd laws is more important than another one. And it's a trick. Matthew says, a test. Because if Jesus says that one law is greater than another law, then he's at risk of contradicting himself. Because he's just said that all of it comes from God. Not to mention Psalm 19 says it's all perfect. The law of the Lord is, is perfect. It's altogether righteous. So how can any of it, how can one little part of it be greater than any of the rest of it? if it's all one big perfect whole. You see the dilemma? Is there a greatest law, Jesus, they ask him? And if there is, what is it? Well, Jesus' answer is very brief, but profound. Look at verse 37 of our text this morning. He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And when he says this is a great and first commandment, he's saying it is the foundation to everything else. And then he says, verse 39, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. All of the law and the prophets. How? That's what we asked a moment ago. How, Jesus? How does the entire Old Testament depend on these things? Now, we have a couple options here to explain Jesus' statement in order to prove Jesus to be true here. We could go through the entire Old Testament book by book by book. If you'd like to, raise your hand. And <laughs> okay, so we're not going to do that. We don't need to do that. There's, there's actually one book in the Old Testament that summarizes the first four books and then all of the other books in the Old Testament draw from this book. It's a sort of a, a gateway to understanding the Old Testament, the wicket gate, if you will, if you're a Pilgrim's Progress fan. So you've got to pass through this gate, this book, before 
the rest of them, or else you can't understand what the rest of the Old Testament is about. Most importantly, though, this book, Deuteronomy, is the one we're talking about. This is the book that Jesus quotes from in our text. It's the source of the great and first command. If you haven't read Deuteronomy, it is a a book that is basically God's reminder to his people of his past promises to them. And as they go, they're moving into the promised land. They're renewing their covenant with God. And the covenant is essentially this. Israel belongs to God. Israel is God's people. They belong to him. It's like a marriage. That the Lord, Yahweh, will be Israel's God, and Israel will be Yahweh's people. And the relationship will be exclusive. And so, it's much like a marriage in Deuteronomy 6, 5, what like Christian read for us, we have that first command to Israel. They're to love the Lord, their God, with all their heart and soul and might. Very much like a marriage covenant, isn't it? That's a way of saying, love God with all of who you are. That's the expectation. And he uses this, the heart, soul, and might. The heart, don't, don't think of, of your physical heart here. This isn't talking about the muscle that, that pumps blood. The, the heart is the core of your being. That's how the ancient Hebrews understood it. it it's, it's the source of the emotions it's, it's the part of who we are that makes decisions and plans for the future. It's the, it's the thinking part of us. It's the seat of the will. All of your heart must be devoted to the Lord God, according to, Deuter- to Deuteronomy 6.5. Secondly, all of the soul in its entirety love the Lord God. The soul, for the Hebrews, was the place of desire. Some would say it's the place of our longings. One author says the soul is that part of us that must be satisfied in order to go on even living. That's a good way to describe it, I think. If you suffer from depression, you're said to have soul sickness. Your your desire function is out of order. The soul is troubled. It cannot be satisfied. It doesn't know what it wants, and, and so it despairs. This command is saying that the soul must find its satisfaction in the Lord. Lastly, the command says we're to love the Lord with all of our might. That's just to say you love him heart and soul to the fullest extent, all right? Now, you might have noticed that in Matthew, when Jesus quotes this passage, he doesn't say with all your might. Did you pick up on that? He says instead, with all your mind. And all your mind. The reason for that language change is a, it's a translation issue. In, in Greek, the language that Matthew is writing in, the word for the heart only incorporates the emotions and the will. The Greek language separates the ideas of the heart and the mind. And, and, and Greek does that in a way that Hebrew doesn't. So where in Hebrew, you can say heart... And you can include the emotions and the will and the mind, the thoughts. In Greek, you have to say heart and mind in order to capture that same range. All right, so the point is, whether whether you're reading this command in Deuteronomy or Jesus' retelling of it in Matthew, the, the big idea is the same. Love God with every ounce of who you are. Your first and highest love 
is to be God himself. Well, Deuteronomy keeps going. It goes on to explain why. Why should the Jews love the Lord with all their heart, mind, and soul? It's not just an arbitrary command. There are reasons given. And the answer is because God brought them out of Egypt. In short, God redeemed them. God loved them. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. I told you, Deuteronomy is the center of all of this. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. This is the Lord to his people. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. So why did God choose Israel? Because God loved them. It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So Israel was commanded to love God because God loved Israel first. Hold on to that, because we're going to see that again. Now, as you keep reading in Deuteronomy, so we've gone from chapter 6 into chapter 7, as you keep reading, you see a repeat of all of the laws from Exodus and Leviticus, all of these laws that will govern Israel as a nation when they enter into the land. And the majority of those laws have to do with how they treat one another. There there are laws that that flow out of this one command that we see way back in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. Which is to say that command comes from God. That covers pretty much everything, doesn't it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Think about it. Do not commit adultery with your neighbor's wife. Do not murder your neighbor. Do not steal your neighbor's stuff. Do not covet your neighbor's stuff. Do not charge interest to your neighbor when you loan them something. If you break something of your neighbor's, you fix it. If your neighbor works for you, pay him fairly. And on and on. And all of these laws are included. You see all of these laws in Leviticus, and you see all them all repeated in Deuteronomy. And they all can be summarized with that one, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you keep reading in Deuteronomy, you get to chapters 29 and 30. So that that whole middle section is a bunch of laws. In chapters 29 and 30, God tells Israel, and we saw a a little bit of a glimpse of this in chapter 6. God tells Israel when they break their covenant with him, not if they break their covenant with him, but when they do, when they fail to love the Lord with all their heart, mind, and soul, and they worship other gods, they'll be conquered by the nations and exiled. They'll be cast out of the land. And this happens. As you read the Old Testament, you see that this happens. Israel does not love God with all their heart, mind, and soul. They're constantly worshiping false gods. They're trying to be like the pagan nations rather than being satisfied in the Lord. And the prophets 
When you read the prophets, you see this constant refrain, repent, turn, turn to God. God alone is worthy of our worship. Repent or God's promise will be fulfilled. We will be exiled. And then it happens. The tribes of Israel get scattered to the nations because they failed to love the Lord. And they failed to love him first. And because they failed to love him, they treated one another horribly. But then we get this turn in Deuteronomy 30. In Deuteronomy 30, we find out that that exile that they've been warned about is not going to be a permanent exile. At the beginning of Deuteronomy 30, God says he will bring them back from that exile. And when he brings them back, things will be different than they were. Look at what God says to his people about their return from exile. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 5. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, that you may live. So, so the book of Deuteronomy begins with that command to love the Lord and as it comes near to the end, the Lord reveals to the reader they will not be able to obey that command. And because they couldn't, then the rest of the commands won't be obeyed. And God reveals that the reason for this inability, this is really important, the reason why they can't is because of their hearts. A person cannot truly love the Lord unless their heart is changed. And then as you read the Old Testament, the prophets just say this again and again and again and again. It is the heart. It's the heart that keeps Israel from truly loving and worshiping God. The heart, that very center of our thoughts and emotions and our will, if it's, if it's bent away from God, which it is, then our thoughts and our emotions and our wills will be bent away from God. Our sick hearts are the cause of all of our troubles. Are you starting to see how Jesus could say that the entire Old Testament hangs on those two commands? Especially that first one, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. Israel couldn't. And the story of the Old Testament is synonymous with Israel's inability to wholeheartedly be devoted to God. That's the story of the Old Testament. That's what Jesus is getting at in his response to the Pharisees. That's the history of Israel. The law and the prophets. Abraham to Exodus, Exodus to the exile. God loved Israel. He redeemed them. But because of their sinful hearts, they could not return his love. doesn't stop there. Hey, God's love for his people doesn't stop simply because they can't love him back. By God's grace, that promise in Deuteronomy 30 says he's going to give them the ability to love him back. You saw that, didn't you? Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart 
It means change your heart, cut off the sin, cut off the wickedness. He will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So God is promising way back then, way back when, before the prophets, that when he brings his people out of exile, he will change their hearts so that they can love him. And so loving God wholeheartedly, then they would be able to obey his commands. Truly loving God, truly loving their neighbor. And in the same way the prophets repeated the warnings, the prophets repeat this promise. Look at Jeremiah 24. The same promise. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. How are they doing that? Because Deuteronomy 30 is being fulfilled. And look at how closely this passage from Ezekiel reflects this same idea. Ezekiel 36. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. That is exactly what Deuteronomy said. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see it? That's Deuteronomy 30. That's what Israel has been looking forward to for ages and ages and ages in their failure to to love the Lord and in their failure to obey him. They're looking forward to the fulfillment of that promise. And the question of the ages is when does that happen? When does this happen? When did God fulfill this promise? When did he change the hearts of his people so that they could love him and obey him? And that is what the New Testament is about. When Jesus was born, we saw at the very beginning of Matthew, when we were studying it, Jesus' birth, Matthew was teaching us, it represents Israel's return from spiritual exile. Remember that exile in Deuteronomy 29? They return from exile, Deuteronomy 30. That's what happens in Matthew. The arrival of Jesus marks the arrival of that time of restoration, the time when God would change the hearts of his people. Think about what Jesus says at the very beginning of his ministry. Matthew chapter 5, in in his first sermon. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. There's that phrase again, law and the prophets. Do not come to think I've come, do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, Now, what are the law and the prophets about? We've just summarized it. God's covenant with Israel and Israel's inability to fulfill it because of their hearts. And as we saw, The promise that one day God would change their hearts. That's the summary. And Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish all of that, but to fulfill it, he's saying, I've come to fulfill that promise. 
And that's what we see happening with Jesus. Because Jesus is indwelt with the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the one who loves the Lord with all his heart and all his mind and all his soul. And on Good Friday, he dies. He died for Israel's failure to love the Lord with all their heart, mind, and soul. They were spiritually dead. They were in spiritual exile, and they couldn't come back until their sins were atoned for. Atonement had to be made for their sin against God. And Jesus, God's Son, was sent as the sacrifice. He's the one who brings peace through his death. And on the third day, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, God raised Jesus up so he could then ascend to his heavenly throne and send the Spirit to his people. And what does the Spirit do? Well, what did Ezekiel say the Spirit would do? The Spirit changes the hearts of God's people so that in Christ they can love the Lord with all their heart and mind and soul so that loving the Lord, living in a devotion to him, then they could love their neighbors. And one day, Jesus will return and raise up those who are in him to eternity. And that's the Bible. That's what the Bible's about. That's why the very next thing that Jesus says to the Pharisees, and we're going to study this passage next week, but on that very same day, Jesus is still standing there with the Pharisees. They've asked him that question about the great law, and he has responded, and then they don't even get a chance to say anything else, and he says to them, verse 41, while they're still gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? So who, see, who the Christ is, And what the law and the prophets say, those are not two separate issues. They are not two separate questions. The Christ fulfills all that the law and the prophets anticipated. And Jesus is the Christ. And we could just end there. But there's a problem that that the majority of us have here. Something that we have not addressed yet. You see, this story that we've been looking at. It's not our story. This is Israel's story. God chose Abraham, and he loved Israel, and he delivered Israel from Egypt. They were the ones that were told to love the Lord with all their heart and mind and soul. Those of us who have ancestors in Eastern Europe and Western Europe and Northern Europe and South America, Our ancestors weren't told that. God did not choose them. He chose Israel. And God gave Israel those laws. And the prophets spoke to Israel, not you and me. So what we've seen so far is this is not our story. This is is the story of another people. What does this Jewish man who loved God and loved his neighbor so much that he he died for his countrymen, what does this have to do with us? Here's the thing. All of those promises that were pointing to fulfillment, that were pointing to a Messiah that would come, those promises included the nations. The Messiah who was promised to the Israelites, the one who would bring the Spirit, who would bring new hearts to his people, that same person would expand the promise to everyone else in the world. 
Isaiah said, this is one of the prophets, Isaiah said concerning that day, look at Isaiah chapter 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days, now the latter days, what he's talking about is the day of the Messiah, the day of the promised restoration, the day of the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 30. In those latter days, when God would turn the hearts of his people to himself, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come to say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. That's what we said this morning. Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways that we can walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. What law? What word? The law that is summarized. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. So at the coming of Messiah, the good news goes out. It's announced far and wide. The one who turns their hearts of the nations to God has arrived. That's what the rest of the Bible is about. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all announced the arrival of this Messiah, and they proved Jesus is the Messiah. And because he's the Messiah, he tells his disciples, take this good news message to the nations. Go, go tell the good news of my arrival to everyone. And then we look in the book of Acts that follows the Gospels. In the book of Acts, the Spirit comes, just like God promised. And then the Spirit goes to the nations. As the good news of Messiah's arrival goes to the nations, the Spirit goes and brings life. Faith turns the hearts of the nations to God so that the nations, us, would want to obey God too. And then the rest of the New Testament is comprised, it's just letters that these disciples wrote to the churches that had been planted among the nations. And those churches are a mix. They've got Jewish people who had been looking forward to that promise, and it's got Gentile people who were surprised by that promise. And then they're mixed together in the church. The Gentiles are brought in. We are brought in. We're included in God's story because of Jesus. And as you read those letters, start in Romans. 1 Corinthians, you read these letters, you see the good news, you see that announcement again and again and again. God loved us, he sent his son, and his son is not just for Israel, it's for the world. He's for the world. And so the death of Jesus the Messiah, God's son, his death covers not just Israel's sin and failure to love and worship God, his death covers our sin. And we also receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does exactly what he does for the Jews. He gives us faith. He gives us faith in Christ. And in Christ, he turns our hearts to God so that we can love him with all of who we are. In Christ, through the Spirit, our devotion, the things that we love, it changes. Rather than loving the world, we begin to love God. 1 John 4.19 says this, we love, John speaking to a mix of Gentiles and Jews, we love 
because he first loved us. Now, where did we see that? We saw that in Deuteronomy, didn't we? It sounds a lot like Israel in Deuteronomy. God loved Israel, he redeemed Israel, and so Israel was to also respond in love for God. That same truth is for you and me. It's even greater, though, because we are included in Israel's promise. In Christ, God has brought us redemption. He showed his love for us. We were outsiders. He's brought us in. In faith, Christianity is just loving God in return. Worshiping God in Christ. Well, John, writing to those churches, he goes on. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's what we saw in Deuteronomy. That's what Jesus says is the most important, the foundation for the Old Testament. Because of Christ, it flows into us as well. Because of Christ's saving work and Spirit's reviving work in us. Our hearts are turned to the Lord. And so we begin to love the things that God loves. And who does he love? He loves our neighbors. He sent his son for our neighbors. And so we love our neighbors. And all of this, you've seen this, all of this centers on Christ, doesn't it? The whole Bible centers around the one whose death and resurrection brought about the end of Israel's failure and the beginning of new life. It brought about the end of death. It brought about the end of sin. He's the one who said all of the law and the prophets hang on the commands to love the Lord and to love our neighbors. And Jesus knew, here in Matthew 22, Jesus knew that when he said those words, he knew that they were impossible to obey without him. Impossible. It's impossible to love God without Christ. It's impossible to love our neighbor without Christ, no matter what Mr. Rogers tells you. Wholehearted devotion to God is required. It's only found in Jesus Christ. Without it, it's just a law that whips us because we can't do it. So what is the Bible about? Well, really, it's about Jesus. So I'd invite you today, by the Holy Spirit's power, to believe in him as the one who died and raised to give you life and joy in loving the Lord. Let's pray.